last week I was so focused on the Brady stuff and then the Shohei Otani stuff that I talked about that I didn't talk about, I think, another pretty big story that I I, I don't know if it's under the radar necessarily. I mean, I'm a soccer guy, so obviously, you know, these are the type of news stories that I think are important. Uh, So Panini and FIFA extended their licensing contract, which, you know, I don't know... If you're FIFA, I'm sure there's a lot of there has to be a lot of money involved to be completely honest because, you know, as we've seen in the past really with that organization, money talks with that organ with them. So like if I'm 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 the thing with that contract, I'm wondering if Tops ever tried getting involved because I'm wondering if they ever got involved or if because they have the UEFA license that they wouldn't be able to have the UEFA and FIFA licenses because they're two different organizations. You know, it's kind of like, I I guess I'll make the comparison. It's like baseball. It's like having the baseball and the football. No, I guess it's not really like that. It's like, actually, I mean, honestly, there really isn't anything like those two different organizations and having the licensing for them. Because I was, like I said, I was going to compare it to baseball and football, but it's like those are different sports, so it would be a little bit different. So I'm wondering if, like, because I know the tops – They've got, like, Champions League and uh, stuff along those lines. And then they've got, you know, their individual licenses. And I think the interesting thing with FIFA, now that they ha- now, now that they are locked in, that probably means that we're going to – I, I guess I'd be interested to know this license. Like, are we going to now get uh, – World Cup cards when that World Cup comes back around, and it actually it does look like I just quickly pulled up a pulled up an article, and it looks like the agreement from from the article that I'm reading it says under the new agreement Panini will remain as FIFA's exclusive partner for the official stickers, trading cards, trading card games, digital collectibles, and that's going to include the 2026 World Cup and the 202030 World Cup, and then also the 2027 Women's World Cup. So we are going to get. Panini cards for uh, for this 2026 World Cup, which I think is probably one of the more... If you're a U.S. soccer fan, it's probably the most important... It's probably the... It's maybe the most important World Cup in the history of American soccer. I mean, I know that we've had good teams in the past, but we've kind of gone through a pretty big lull in, like, how well a team is doing. And, I mean, last the last World Cup was great because we saw kind of what these young players can do and there are a lot of their potential. But, like, 2026, it being in the United States, like, this is... Ju- and then just based on kind of the generations of players throughout the other countries like you know by the 2026 world cup messi's not going to be around probably cristiano ronaldo probably won't be won't be around i think england it's, it's really probably going to be like england and the united states like both of our generations of players that we have right now by that point in their careers are going to be in their like prime like it's going to be like prime prime for them like you know Pulisic you know McKinney like all of these players like I and I don't know if by the 2030 World Cup we may be looking at like uh I'm trying to think of a comparison we may be looking at like that 2016 World Cup with like you know a lot of the players were kind of a little bit past their prime like and we you know we saw the I think it was 2016 and then 20 2012 those ones were pretty important for the team I don't think we had necessarily as good of a team 
back then as we do with as we do as we are going to for that 2026 World Cup. But that means throughout um I'm wondering that probably means like there's a Copa America that the United States because and because the United States is having the World Cup here, we automatically qualify, which means they're looking for other tournaments basically to get into, which it, big big news I think that was probably over over the summer and then we we qualified for it was the Copa America, all the North America and I think teams yeah, I think all the North American teams were either in contention for Copa America or they qualified for Copa America. No, they must it must have been in contention because I think we had to qualify for it, I'm pretty sure. So we're you know, we're gonna be playing teams like Brazil and Argentina, like in and I believe that's this upcoming summer in twenty twenty four. So that's a big deal. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see uh any other big like I, I can't imagine we're going to like go over to Europe to play in any type of tournament. I I can't imagine that would be allowed, but uh you know, we are going to get Euros, too. I, I, I didn't see that on that list, but I have to, I, I would have to assume that the Euros are also going to be in that, which I believe the Euros are this upcoming summer as well in 2024. So, you know, I, I, I am, you know, in the process of uh, following and kind of getting to know some of the newer players that may be rookies. I mean, I think 2018, 2019, I really was – I was really in tune with – who the new rookies were, who the top upcoming players were. But then I started following more of the U.S. team and kind of following more of those players. So I wasn't, you know, the international players, I'm not as in tune with who the rookies are, at least right now, because of what happened with the World Cup. And I was just so into what was going on with the United States and following the United States team. Um, I wasn't really following those other players. But if you're Panini, this, I think, is a, this is a massive deal for Panini because it's really probably one of their after they lose football and basketball, FIFA could potentially be their biggest license. I mean, I think that they... I'm pretty sure that they still have the UFC and WWE. Um, but, like, I don't... It, 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 FIFA is going to be their biggest license, which, I, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I believe FIFA... I don't think that the... Um, the Champions League falls under FIFA. FIFA is all the international tournaments, but then also Panini owns a couple of the licensing rights for some of the leagues. Uh, which, but it's but it, it's interesting. And this is kind of the weird thing about soccer and their licensing. Tops can come out with products that have these players that are on their club teams if 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 it's a Champions League product. So, like, they can have, you know, they can have uh, Pulisic on AC Milan, which before it was Chelsea at the time. But so, like, they had a, there was at the same, it's very similar to at the time when Topps was making football and Panini was making football. There was a Topps card and then there was a Panini card. So there, there was like a, there was a Prism Chelsea Pulisic card, but then there was also a Topps Chrome Pulisic card because it fell under UEFA, which was the Champions League, uh, but it didn't fall under, which, like I said, the, the licensing is very confusing, but I think the the, the FIFA licensing, it, I feel like is pretty straightforward in terms of like, it's basically just going to, you're just going to see uh, the, the international uh, national teams, which, again, it's, it's an interesting debate within soccer, I think, and I don't know if necessarily there's it's been swayed one way or the other. I really think it comes down to which card it just comes out first sometimes. But like the because it's and it's actually one of the only sports that does this. It's the it's the club sport versus the national team. Like which card for soccer players is going to be more important? And like I said, I think it's still to be determined. I think we're still sort of seeing that. 
you know, I think we soccer definitely had a moment a couple of years ago, and I think things have definitely slowed down a lot. I mean, it, it, it was it was one of those like secondary sports that like people were really starting to get into. It could have been also because of the World Cup. So, you know, it may have another moment where when the World Cup comes around and when the World Cup is in the United States, especially like how much feet, how much um, Panini, uh, how much Panini advertising and stuff is going to happen within the United States because the within the United States I mean Canada and Mexico as well but mostly within the United States because because Panini is obviously a United States based company they do have the stickers in in Italy which in in overseas which I think is also important but within the United States I do wonder if soccer is going to have another moment I'm not a I don't know it is definitely a it has fallen off maybe at the same rate as some of the other sports, uh, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Like I think the other sports and just in general, we've seen a definitely a big fall off in terms of interest. So we're going to see maybe another cycle come around where it's like the World Cup is coming. You know, you got Euros this summer. Uh, you've got a lot of, like I said, also a lot of the U.S. players are kind of some of the best players, or they're in that upper echelon of top players on their teams for their club teams. So maybe it comes back around, maybe it doesn't. But like I said, it's, I, and I, I definitely have said this over the summer. It's, I think it's one of the most interesting sports in in the world. Just the dynamics of everything, the national team, the club teams, and, and I also enjoy watching the game too. I know some people don't, but I think it's definitely something that you can look into if you're look if you want to get into a sport that you really don't have any knowledge of and you want to really dive deep and get into the intricacies and the nuances of the sport i think soccer honestly is the way to go and again like i said it's it's more it's it's one of the sports that i sort of i don't know i I don't know if i was one of the first content creators to really get into soccer but i know like i was definitely in the first couple creators that were starting to make soccer content within sports cards uh like in 2019 2020 uh after you know after i went to the national and i talked to tyler from gary v's team and i was like mbappe this is this is like the next guy and he's like oh yeah this is the next guy i bought like a ton of his cards and i got a bunch of them graded and during the peak i you know i was lucky enough that i sold a bunch of them uh i wish i had kept a few of them but on I, I, like now i probably could buy some of them back because of the same way that it's happened with all of the other sports like you can buy back a lot of cards now um but I started learning more about the sports. I started making content about it. And it really, like I said, it had a moment, kind of fell off a little bit. But I think over the next few years, there's a potential that we could see another uh, another surge in the interest in soccer and soccer cards. There could be more news, I think, on this topic in the next couple of days because it's still a developing story. It's something that broke uh, yesterday, actually. It was, uh, let's see, so uh, Mario uh, Alondrio, I believe, so uh, base baseball, so card blog. It's B-E-I-S-O-L, or O-B-O-L, card blog. They broke a story that is pretty wild. Like, I think it was either, it was last week at some point or over, or over the weekend, there was an eBay account that had, like, they had, like, something along the lines of, like, 20 different Superfractors on, like, their eBay. They were selling them from this year's Bowman, from this, from Bowman Draft. I don't, I don't remember if there were any, like, big, huge names in there, but there were, the, 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 the product had just been out, so it didn't, you know, the, the story immediately is, like, what is, like, what's going on here? How did this happen? Like, 
how did how does one how does one eBay or one person selling on eBay have uh like all of these super factors from the product that just came out like this past week and so apparently the cards were stolen they were uh they came from either a facility they were not uh they're not fakes they're real cards or customs and i'm just reading from from the report here so they so mario talked to someone the, well, not someone. They talked to the CEO of Fanatics because they had the info, and I believe uh, uh, Collectibles Guru also had some of the info, but the, you know Mario came out with the story first, so I'm reading off of some of the info that he's come out with. So they were uh, incomplete super factors that didn't pass the quality inspection during the lamination uh, due to a lam- d- d- didn't pass quality inspection due to a lamination issue and they were set aside to be destroyed but they were stolen from the facility which like it is you know it's a decent amount of cards but said there there's a limited amount of these cards and collectors will not have to worry as none of them none of the damaged or stolen cards made it into packs they were also easily identifiable by serial numbering what the serial numbering on the stamp was different was was stamped on the back of the card instead of the front uh, furthermore, all grading companies have been alerted by Fanatics. Uh, the, C- the CEO of Fanatics talked to Mario, and he said that uh, everybody that purchased one of these cards from the person on eBay, uh, they're going to be reimbursed by Fanatics. And, you know, it is it is a story that is still developing. And it is... I don't know. There's no way to really... I mean, I can't – this person has to go – this has to be like a criminal. It would be – I would imagine this has to be some sort of criminal offense, like – which also it's like how – I'm sorry. I know that you were selling damaged superfractors that were stolen from the top facility, but how stupid do you have to be to then sell them all at the same time on eBay? All at the same time. Not even trying selling – not even going to shows and selling them. And I'm not giving criminals ideas of how to sell – uh, how to sell cards that were stolen, but it's like, how dumb do you have to be for this to happen? It almost makes me think that this was done, th- that this was like a sting or something. Like, this was, because it just is like, if you're, if you're smart enough to know that these cards are at the, to- at the facility and to steal them, how how can you be not smart enough to then, how can you be, how can you be, how can you be the opposite and put them all on eBay, especially selling them on eBay? Because it's like, oh yeah, eBay has so many different filters now that you have to put in when you're selling cards. Which that's another good thing that eBay I think has implemented over the past few years is like you really have to put in a lot of info when you're trying to sell these cards. So that way, you know, if whatever ends up happening, if whatever pops up, and I'm sure, I'm sure somebody probably noticed that this card was on eBay, and they're like, hey, I either own this card or I saw this card get pulled. Why is it on eBay? And then they go to the person's account, and there's a ton of different superfractors on there. It really, like, it almost makes, it almost seems like, and I'm not, I don't think, I don't, I, I'm sort of a conspiracy theorist, but, like, I don't, it almost makes so little sense of how this person would do this that it almost seems like, it almost seems like a, after this past year of the quality control and all of these things with tops, and this obviously is probably just another quality control issue where, you know, I don't know how these cards make it out of the facility. You know, who is like, unfortunately, there's probably a, a bunch of people that are going to be losing their jobs either at this facility or working for tops and fanatics because it's like, 
it was one person's job to destroy them. It probably was one person's job to put them aside. And then as soon as they don't get, you know, as soon as they go missing, it's like, well, what happened here? Like, where is the, there? and there has to be footage, realistically. Like, this is sort of the other thing with these types of facilities. There has to be cameras, and there needs to be cameras. And I actually almost wish that there was more access to some of these cameras, similar to, I mean, similar to like uh, like police scanners. Like, I almost think that there should be live camera footage of like the facilities, and you can watch the people. You can watch them or something build the do the cards or something because it's like there's no way that there isn't unfortunate fraud and crime going on at these facilities because it's just like there are so many cards being produced and there's so many things that are happening all at the same time that it's like it's like oops something slipped through the cracks you know like and that could easily be an excuse for a lot of these circumstances where a box goes missing or like you know a uh something a bunch of cards were sitting on a table and they accidentally get swiped off the table i mean there's tons of mis- real mistakes that i think do happen at these facilities that could explain something like this but like the fact that th- there has to be camera footage of this somewhere like you know again it's like also, it's like the super fractors. It's like, why would you like, again, it's like, it just doesn't, this, the, some of the story is not adding up in my opinion. Like how, like, how does this person that stole the cards then put them all on eBay at the same time, puts, puts them all up for sale. I don't know. It's, it, it, I, I'm glad that fanatics has come out and made a statement about this. And they've talked to people within the hobby who are putting out stuff about this. I'm hoping that we're going to see more. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they're really. I just look at some of these situations and I'm like, how many, how many more times can there be these like massive mistakes like this before? I don't know what, I don't know if somebody steps in or what has to happen here, but it's like, why to understand how, and it really, it actually, if we're looking at it, it seems like it's a lot of like Bowman mistakes. So it's like, what's going on in the Bowman department this year that really has seen like the multiple super factors out of Bowman Chrome, these Bowmans that have been kind of going crazy, the, you know, the Victor Wembignana Bowman that wasn't put into the pack or whatever, or, the, or, or wasn't put in the pack. I'm speculating there, but I think that's what happened because they had to come out with the whole thing. And then somebody else got the first Bowman uh, from the drawing or whatever. If you had one of the number to 99s, but it's like, what's going on in the Bowman department? What's going on? with this with the biggest brand and it kind of goes back to i forget if i mentioned it on the hobby hotline or if i mentioned it on this podcast i know i did mention it on hobby hotline i just don't remember if i mentioned it on this podcast like it almost feels like a lot of the resources for bowman went into this brady campaign and they kind of just like let the bowman brand like sort of almost they probably they, maybe they put it in the hands or in, tr- in in someone they put someone in charge who like didn't know what they were doing because the people who did know what they were doing they were brought on to work on this Brady campaign and it seems like they took the resources for their most important product and they really over this past year have sort of let the QC really deteriorate to a point where it's like what what's going to happen next like you know you got the next bowman product that's going to come out uh early next year like what's going to be the issue with that problem it's almost like we have to start expecting these issues massive issues and i i really don't want to but it's like with each product there are these massive with each bowman product not even just every and, and there have been issues with other products you know uh maybe it's not an issue but the Bronny james thing where that gets announced and then he's not in that product but 
I hope that somebody can step in here and kind of reinvigor the uh, the the Bowman product because there's been a lot of mistakes this year and I it's it's one of their biggest brands and I just don't see how Tops and Fanatics can keep letting mistakes happen to what is supposed to be their biggest product. After a sneak peek announcement, Beckett said that they were going to be doing something with ESPN. I think last week, yeah, the fourteenth, which. I, the interesting thing that Beckett doesn't really do much, and I'm guessing, I don't know, maybe it's because they don't, they must not have the the resources, potentially. They really are only doing, like, one tweet a day, which, you know, one tweet a day doesn't necessarily equal, or tweets per day doesn't necessarily equal successful companies, but, like, there's, I don't know, I'm, I'm just not sure if, they, they must just not have the resources to do it, because, like, if you look at other accounts, you look at PSA, you look at other sports card companies they're just there's more there could be more content and I guess maybe it's like they don't want to come out with you know it's not like they're a card company where they're coming out with all of these different products um but so next week which was the 14th Beckett announced they were going to be doing an event with ESPN events and they announced uh that they're going to be doing a pack battle on uh drip shop live uh, with uh, partnered with Panini during two of the bowl games on the 21st and 22nd. It's the Armed Forces Bowl and the First Responders Bowl. And I actually was going to get on this podcast and kind of be like, Beckett's not doing anything to really solidify themselves as a, one of the, they're trying to get back into the top grading conversation. But then the, they are doing this, which I do think is interesting. And I don't, I don't, I also don't mean to pocket watch here. But Panini and Beckett are two of the biggest sports card companies in the whole industry, and they're only doing ten thousand dollars worth of boxes. Um, now I get all you know; all major hits will be auctioned off post stream uh, with the with free Beckett, free Beckett grading, and then they have proceeds uh, from the auctions. Will be going to a bunch of charities, which is great. But, our, you know, I don't know. First of all, announcing it's going to be $10,000 I think was an interesting choice. Um, because if you don't auction off $10,000, uh, and, and, and I'm, I guess I'm not sure. I guess I'm not sure if it's $10,000 at both bowl games or if it's $10,000 at uh, one of them versus combined. But, like, if they don't, if they don't, if the cards that they open don't sell, and I, I'll be interested. I don't know if anyone's going to do any tracking on this. I don't. Re- I don't want to do the tracking myself. If I'm going to be completely honest, that's not that's not really my cup of tea when it comes to you know following these types of events. I guess, but like, I'll be I'll be very interested if anybody does any research into this after the fact, and if they if they even sell if they sell ten thousand dollars worth of cards in the auctions. Um, you know, it's a charity thing, so I would imagine there will probably be some sort of somebody who is buying these cards, maybe from the auctions, to make sure that they hopefully hit this 10K total. Because at, at the end of the day, if they open up these cards and they're almost, you know, they're Panini is almost exposing themselves a little bit here by saying that there's going to be $10,000 worth of hobby boxes open because all they're going to do is they're going to open up boxes. And if they don't get hits that are worth $10,000, they're going to just expose that the boxes are just bad. But at the same time, 
it also they're also are opening themselves up for criticism because it almost will there'll be people who probably watch this and if it if you know if a crazy card gets pulled or something crazy it's going to be like well Panini knows what cards are going where, like which is which. That's been a big criticism of think of Panini over the past few years with with like backyard breaks and some big breakers getting like these crazy products and getting all of these crazy cards. Uh, which also to touch on something from yesterday's episode, uh, Panini apparently also had a bunch of cards stolen from their facility because if if I'm not mistaken from the reports that I saw, Tops and Panini both get their cards made at. Or they get certain cards made at the same warehouse or the same company. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but you know, the whole. I guess the, the point is also. I just think <laughs> the other thing. I don't know. You know, two retweets and five favorites on an event that you're doing with ESPN and Panini is like there was probably a lot that was put into this for there to not be really I other than I think myself I didn't really see like I have a feed of like some of the top hobby people and the hobby reporters which I, I you know I guess you could say maybe that a lot of them are reporting on the like stolen card story so maybe this has kind of flown under the radar a little bit and and maybe it's something that's going to pick up steam once we get closer to the bowl games potentially and I'm hoping that we see a panini and a Beckett marketing campaign around this um but, you know, it is kind of funny that, like, basically the two number twos within the industry are real are getting together here, which I – if, if I may be mistaken, um, Tracy – Tracy Hackman? Yeah, I know he worked at Panini and then I – oh, no, no. Actually, no, that's not correct. He worked at Panini and then he went to – uh, the the the, the uh, uh, Jimmy shop in uh, the the uh, road store. I forget the name off the top. Full. I forget the full name off the top of my head. But th- I thought that he may have worked at both companies. But it's just you know, like I said, I was going to get on here and say, well, Beckett really hasn't done anything, and maybe this will be a thing that I don't know will help Beckett and maybe help their sales. But again, maybe that's just something that Beckett doesn't want to do. Like maybe whoever owns Beckett. Or whoever is like, you know, the top earner in sales or whatever looks at it and says, well, we're getting X amount of cards in and we can only really grade X amount of cards if we, unless we want to hire people. And then if we hire people, that's going to bring our margins down. Um, if we continue to get RPAs in some of the higher value non base rookie cards, which I think is, I would say that's probably. Beckett's bread and butter when it comes to cards that they're grading and cards that people are sending in, uh, they, maybe they look at it and say, well, we're okay being number two because we don't, we don't want a million cards sent to us. We want, we want, uh, a 10,000 cards, but the, of the 10,000 cards, we're going to get high value RPAs. We're going to get, um, high value autographs where, you know, PSA, they're really in the volume game right now. They are in the, we need to grade as many cards as we can to make, to make our margins when it comes to grading. Like, so I guess in the next few days, cause it's what the, it is, like I said, it's the 20th. So in the next day or so, I, again, it's like, they also have to sell these spots and these, or no, actually I don't think, I think it's a, it's a pack battle. So they're not selling spots, but um, in the next few days, we're going to see more info about this. Maybe someone will track it. Uh, we'll see over the next few days how this ends up going. I mean, look, I hope that it goes well because any type of 
any type of advertising and you know stuff that's going on in the industry that is outside of the industry if it's going if you're doing it with ESPN that reflects on how the industry is doing so if this comes out and it's a complete joke that's going to look bad for the industry and you know as somebody who who is a fan a fan of the industry I, I don't know exactly what the point I'm trying to make I hope that I hope this goes well because it's going to reflect well on the sports card industry if they can pull this off and you know hopefully make the industry look good so fanatics and fanatics live announced that they're going to be having dude perfect which is like one of the bigger YouTube channels on uh, on their platform and you know, it's obviously a paid partnership or whatever, but, that you know, with, with Fanatics Live, they're going to be doing breaks and stuff along those lines. And, I mean, it's not necessarily my cup of tea. Like, <laughs> if I, – I, I'm wondering – I'm wondering who at Fanatics maybe thought that it would drive sales because – like, Dude Perfect, it's all, like, kids. Like, and I don't know how much of Dude Perfect's audience they share with companies they're doing brand deals with, but, like, you know, I'm sure there's probably a decent-sized audience of ki- of people who are above, you know, 10 to 15 years old, but, like, I would, I would have to imagine the majority of these kids. Like, I, I myself, I don't think I've watched a Dude Perfect video maybe since I was like 14 or 15, to be honest. And, you know, or, and I, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration because I don't know if they've been around for 10, 10, 10 years or 15 years at this point. But like, the point is like, I don't, I don't really care necessarily that they're doing the stuff on the platform. What I want to talk about on today's show is more just like the discourse around, um, them being on the platform. Um, and, some of it just seems like there is a lot of like it's it's a really odd thing i feel like sometimes when within sports cards there are these random th- like it, it 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 seems sort of random or maybe it's not and maybe i'm misjudging the situation overall but it seems almost random at times where there's like almost seems like to the the conversation really becomes very positive or negative like it doesn't seem like there's much in the middle there like you know you have people who like collectibles guru and jeff wilson who are on the side of like it's a good thing like collectibles guru for example he tweeted that it was breaking news which i guess i I don't know it's not really breaking news if it's like an ad campaign like an ad campaign isn't really breaking news necessarily and then you have people like i was talking about like with mario's uh baseball baseball uh the, the card blog i forget exactly what his um full handle is but i was talking about him earlier this week about with the stolen cards from uh fr- from that were the stolen super factors that were put on ebay like he put out an interesting article and you know i've seen other people i think like old old town baseball i think is his name um and then people like sports card radio and i mean i know i'm naming names but that's just because I've, these are the people that i'm seeing who are really and if I would, if I'm going to be honest, like these are the types of names where I would imagine you would see them on opposite sides of a story, not even just like this type of story. Like you'd see them on opposite sides of most stories for the most part. Like, and they're, I don't think necessarily, like I said, it's a, it's another thing where it's like, I don't really care too much to be like, well, I think this person's wrong and I think this person's right. It just seems like within 
within the hobby, there are sometimes these stories where this happens, and it seems like it's not that... It doesn't really seem like it's that big of a deal. Like, especially when, you know, I think Sports Card and, or uh, Sports Card Radio pointed out that, like, they weren't really getting, like, a ton of viewers on this. And, you know, Fanatics Live, like, again, the audience of people who... It, it may be the audience who they're looking to trying to get are younger collectors potentially here. And the younger collectors may not be on Fanatics Live, and that's why you don't see the audience really. But also I think, too, there's sometimes within social media where we conflate these numbers like, oh, they only had 1,000 viewers. Like, well, we don't know necessarily what their sales were of, of within these 1,000 viewers. Like, And it's one of the things it's like – you know, fanatics might look at it and say, well, we know that only X amount of people are going to convert or only X amount of the audience are going to watch. So we're going to try and capture those sort of customers potentially. Um, and, you know, although I don't know how much they paid Dude Perfect for something like this, I mean, you know, Dude Perfect is like one of the biggest sponsored channels like on the internet like i would say probably 50 to 75 percent of the videos that dude perfect does nowadays are just like it's just sponsored content like they'll do car commercials or they'll do like basketball commercials or chipotle commercials and it's like sure yeah they are doing videos but they're doing videos about a topic that they're getting paid to make videos about and this is obviously i mean this is you know this is obvious that they're doing it this way and sure maybe it's something that it's involving sports and they're involved in sports but the the and maybe the audience is there maybe this is the audience that fanatics was looking to capture uh similar to how they've been doing kind of some of these other things within the hobby thinking that they're going to capture a different type of audience and you know unfortunately for well i don't know maybe unfortunately maybe not but like the thing with this specific move is they're doing a show with numbers that you can see the numbers and you can see how well the show is doing where if you if they put out like an Alabama product or they put out like any type of smaller product that really is catered towards a a, a small majority or a small minority of people who are not into sports cards or they're trying to get into sports cards we don't know how that did like we don't know how many cases or boxes they sold um but again, it's it's I feel like the discourse around this is like it's I don't know. It just seems like yeah, maybe and I think one of the things is like maybe uh you know, there's people are speculating that there's people that are being paid to talk about this and they're being they're being paid to say good things about it, which again, it, it, I can think it kind of shows within the hobby that the it may be a misjudgment of fanatics to think that the hobby and people within it don't know. They aren't able to spot something. They aren't able to spot an ad, which that's sort of the one thing within social media nowadays. It's like social media just overall is just an, it's just advertising. It's just all ads. Like it's not, it, it, which is weird because, you know, you think about it as a way it's like you think about it. It used to be. Uh, when there wasn't as many brands and stuff doing social media influencer advertising, you would you know, you know you would go on Twitter, you'd go on Instagram, you'd go on TikTok or whatever during the commercials of your TV show um, because it was something to escape from when the commercials were on the TV. But now you go to social media and it's commercials. So 
like I've talked about this a little bit in the past with, and it's more, it's not necessarily sports card related. It's more uh, just social media in general. It's such, it's become such an odd place because it's like you have people who are making content for different audiences, but it's, but because of the way the algorithms work, all of those, all of those, people are pushing their content into this funnel where anybody can see the content at any time. So it's like, you might see something, you go, wow, that's really cringe or that's really weird. But it's like, yeah, that's because it's not like, you're not part of the target audience for that video. Now, do I think that's similar to this? Like, you know, potentially. uh, But I think, like I said, if you are... I don't know. I've been trying to – I go on Twitter basically now really only to find articles or topics for the show. I'm trying to use it a lot less because it's just – again, the discourse on everything. There has to be discourse on everything. Everybody has to have an opinion on everything, and I, you know, I, I understand I'm like the pot calling the kettle black here because I have a pot – You know, we have this podcast, and when I have to have an opinion and have to have conversations – on the show, so it's like, yeah, you know, maybe again, like maybe it's maybe I'm calling the, you know, whatever the pot, the kettle black or whatever. I don't, I don't know how to say it as if I'm doing it, but you know, you, I think, I, I think you see what I'm saying here, where it just doesn't seem. Not everybody has to have an. Every, you can have an opinion on anything you want, but it just seems like we don't all need to say it online. I guess is what my kind of point is. I guess in a way, so. And I'll wrap up this show just by saying, like, if you're if you're online and you're seeing this and you're just like, I don't want to engage in this. Like, you don't you don't have to. Like, that's sort of where one thing that I think can be almost uh, an issue, I guess, within social media. It's like everybody thinks that they have to have their opinion about a thing. You can just not say anything if you don't want to. Now, it's I, I my. This is my last tip. My last tip for the show, and I guess it's like if you're going to complain on social media, here's my here's my suggestion: type the thing out that you want to complain about, and then just erase it. Because trust me, you get you get as much out of just writing it down than you would um, than you would actually sending it. Because like again, like I've done this at times where it feels like I just am talking into the void when I'm talking about certain things or tweeting about certain things, and it, it really just seems like it's a useless act of just adding you know, another tweet into the mass, into the abyss of tweets or whatever. So, you know, was this a good move for fanatics to try and get customers that are younger? I mean, probably like that's who dude. Perfect's audience is. So like the, the thousand viewers, like, and also like to, to, you know, I'm sure maybe there was peaking and valleying of terms of like who was on the app at the time. And it's like, you know, maybe because we're at school, I, I don't really know. I, you know, to take the number specifically at the time and be like, well, there was this number, only this number, it may, that may not necessarily be correct the whole time. But again, it's like, it's just we have seen now that we've seen now that the numbers on social media don't always necessarily convert to sales. So, you know, maybe that thousand or maybe that number that they got on Fanatics Live did end up being a good thing. Maybe it didn't. We don't we don't really necessarily know what their sales are. We can only look at that number. Uh we can only look at the vanity number on social media, which I think just in general is not always uh not always the best way of gauging success on doing something. Golden put out a post about the the, the one so the one of one Brady 
the from Bowman, the Bowman autograph that came out, that's already been graded and it's actually going up for auction at Golden Auction starting today, I think. So I know that Golden was doing some because like Golden is partnered with PSA, and I know that they were doing actually no, I think they might they, either they're partnered or their own. I forget off the top of my head, but they do like you can get cards d- graded by PSA and then send them directly to the Golden Vault. So like I said, I'm not I forget off the top of my head if they're if they're owned by the same company. I, I have a feeling like they might be actually I forget, but either way, so Golden came out with a with a deal about. Um, they were doing a bunch of sales on if you were going to grade the Brady Bowman through PSA that you could go through Golden, and then next you could get the cards graded for a cheaper price. And this, so like I said, this one of one gets the you know gets graded by PSA and it's going to go up for auction with uh, with Golden starting today. And it's um, it is. I don't know what the price is going to be. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the price ends up selling for. Uh, it did come back a PSA nine, so you know I, I don't I don't know. You could see how some modern cards nowadays they really have to be either an eight, nine, or a ten, or it's like you really have like an insane, an insanely poor condition card. Just the way that cards are. Uh, produced nowadays, they're just produced better, so you're gonna get those high grades on those cards. And you know, obviously, a Brady coming back in nine, it's a one of one. You know, the whole thing about should you grade one of ones, that'll always be a topic of conversation. Not what I'm gonna talk about on this podcast, but I'm wondering at what point does grading have to change potentially? Like, I know that like Mike Baker authentication does like you know, they do like grading of graded cards, but like. There are just so many graded cards, like, and, and grading has become so accessible. It's almost become like a, it's almost become like, not like a necessity. I'm trying to think of the word. It's almost become just like part of, uh, part of the the life cycle of a card. I, again, I'm, I forget the exact words I'm trying to say here with this with this concept, but the the grading aspect of cards nowadays it's like it, it's going to be i think going to get harder probably to sell raw cards because like what's the point of buying a raw card like sure you may be able to get it cheaper but like you could buy like a PSA 6 or a PSA 7 or even maybe a PSA 8 for the same price as some raw cards like i sold a Neymar PSA 8 uh, 2014 prism card like like i said i think i talked about this on the show at the national i got a bunch of uh 2014 World Cup Prism card, Neymar uh, cards graded, and, and a bunch of them came back 10, which was really great, and I think the 10s will probably pay for, if I sell all the 10s, it'll pay for all the grading, and then, you know, the 9s and the 8s, and then whatever ends up being the uh, the 4th, I think that I got, like, honestly, I think I got, like, a 5 and a couple 6s uh, on the cards, but it's like, you, these cards, these 5, 6, 7s exist, and in an eight, and the eight that I sold was basically the same price as a raw card, which I think that almost goes to the the view of that grade potentially, like the seven and eight range. It it really is going to come down to like if you want to buy the raw card versus if you want to buy if you want to buy like a card in a slab, just like in a PSA slab, like because like I said, you can find probably lower 
lower graded ones, but even on new cards, the lower graded ones are probably more rare. So like the the four, five, six, those are probably just as rare as like a 10 in some cases because of what has happened to the grading. And this, again, it gets me to my question of like, do does the scale of grading need to change from a from just an overall perspective because like does and i think people do view it this way does a does a high grade of a modern card not matter as much i i think actually and i'm going to say this out loud and i think it's obvious a high grade of a modern card doesn't matter as much as as a high grade of a card that's obviously from the 70s 60s 70s 80s uh you know just because the, like I said, cards are much cards with higher grades are much easier to come by. Where in the past they may not have been. So it's like if you're buying vintage, obviously a higher grade is going to cost more. But like then, you know, I was talking to Danny actually the other day uh, on Hobby Hotline, I think uh, last week when we were on the show, and he was saying that like he doesn't necessarily really care about the grade of a card. Like he'll he has a good eye for what a good card looks like so he can look at a four or five or a six of a vintage card and be like or, or even a, you, you know and, and i'm kind of putting words in his mouth here i'm using i'm thinking of an example it, you know maybe it's like a three four five and he can say well this card looks undergraded it could be a much higher grade and he is you know he's okay buying a card that's in a lower grade for a cheaper price if he can look at the card itself and say well you know it's it looks better than what this grade is and like I said, with modern cards, are they going to have to almost come out with like like I almost think that the the modern grading of sports cards are eventually going to get different uh, different labels potentially like it's going to be like if it, like I don't know when they would start doing this or if they ever would. It would have to be probably the start of a year that they would do this, but I would say like I wouldn't be surprised if over the next 10 years we see we see a new label for modern cards specifically, like, because the, and the scale I think is actually, and if, if they were to do this, and like I said, I think they would have to do it in a specific year. The scale I think is just going to have to change for some of these modern cards versus, you know, you know, even, even, well, I know ultra modern is, I, I know that these, these uh, time periods actually do have specific names and I'm talking modern, like, because ultra modern is like 2018 to now, I believe. So like, whenever the next, I don't know, whenever the next uh, genre, no, decade or generation of cards are considered by PSA, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a different, if we see a different scale being used to grade those cards. Uh, just from the fact that, like, if you look at how many Luca PSA tens there are, not all of those tens, like in the percentage, it's like 50 percent of all the Luca. PSA graded cards are tens. So it's like when 50% of the cards are tens, like you kind of have to look at it and say, well, maybe we should be adjusting the scale a little bit because I understand that cards are made better, but I almost think that it would give the tens more value, which, you know, and honestly, from PSA's standpoint, they could probably charge a little bit more if they were to say like a 10, like if there were only let's say, I don't know, a thousand or like even like a two or three thousand Luca PSA 10s, that's obviously going to be much more valuable than there being like 20,000 PSA PSA 10s of that Luca card. And you could look at all of those Luca cards and say none of, not each one is going to look the same or have the same grading scale on them. Like, you know, PSA is kind of more lenient on centering, 
and this is the whole thing. It's like with these modern cards and with these ultra modern cards, I just feel like we're going to have to either. I feel like we are going to have to change the scale, keep the pricing the same, change the scale, because then that's going to bring more value. Because I think over these past few years, although PSA is number one when it comes to grading, the fact that ultra modern cards are so easily graded a PSA 10 does hurt the value of that PSA 10. I don't know if it necessarily hurts the value of the PSA holder in general, but I think if they were to change the scale on some of these older or some of the newer ultra modern cards that it would, people would be, I don't know. I don't know if it would help sales or would hurt sales, but it will help. It would help the uh, pricing of some of these cards on the secondary market if if they started grading some of these modern cards a little bit differently than they were grading you know cards from you know e and even the like 90s and 2000s like if they were to come up with a harder scale on these modern cards I think it would help the image of the PSA 10 a little bit because now I feel like you know if you get a, if you grade a bunch of cards and you're not seeing a bunch of PSA 10s you're pretty disappointed but like in the past, I don't think it was always like that, and I think in the future, it shouldn't always be like that. Like, you shouldn't be able to grade 20, 30, 40, 50 cards of the same card and have, like, 50% of them come back a PSA 10. I think a change in scale would be good, and just a, a, an adjustment on the grading scale in general I think would be good for PSA and grading in general.